When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell and we're closing out one of the best decades in the club's history today, the 1990s. Newcastle have resurrected themselves as one of the best clubs in the country and are about to embark on another European adventure, this time in the most elite competition on the continent, the Champions League. There's also two FA Cup finals to discuss and we're joined by a player who was around for at least one of those. Uh, Paul and myself are very excited to welcome Keith Gillespie to the show. Keith, really great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. Now, as be- has become tradition on the show, is I'm going to formally introduce you by reminding our listeners of your, your contribution to the club, and I have here the official verdict from my co-host and the official club historian, Paul Joanneau. It's your entry in Paul's acclaimed Newcastle United book, The Ultimate Who's Who, which profiles every single player to have featured in the club. And I'm going to read a quick extract from, from your entry, if that's okay. Okay. Keith Robert Gillespie. Arriving in the northeast as part of the dramatic multi-million pound deal that sent Andy Cole to Old Trafford, Keith Gillespie quickly showed the football world that he was no makeweight in the transaction. The young Northern Ireland international proved he had the ability to become a huge name in his own right. Fast and direct with a cutting edge to become a match winner on the right touchline, Keith had greatly impressed manager Kevin Keegan before the Cole deal in a series of matches against the Magpies. Starring in United's successful side of 1995-96, Gillespie had possessed balance and control on the ball and searing pace running at defenders, qualities which could destroy the opposition. Keith was rapidly endorsed as a crowd favourite, giving United a contrasting option on the flank to their other wide player, David Ginler, as the Magpies challenged for the Premier League trophy in 1995-96 and 1996-97. A former Youth Cup winner, alongside other Fergie fledglings as Beckham, Scholes, Giggs and Nicky Butt, he was a 17-year-old debutant at Old Trafford. Keith played for his country at every level, gaining his full cap when he was only 19 years of age. In the years which followed, though, Gillespie failed to establish himself as one of the Premier League's really big stars, as had been hoped, although he still had sparkling periods, including when United defeated Barcelona in their Champions League debut at Gallagher, a game in which he gave international fullback Sergei a torrid evening. So there we are, Keith. That's how Paul has immortalised you alongside thousands of others. Very kind words. (laughs) (laughs) We're picking the story up, Keith, um, in the summer of 97. Newcastle just finished second in the league, albeit by goal difference and they're seven points behind Man United. But they qualified for the Champions League for the first time and it was a busy period for player arrivals. I wondered what your memories were of this close season, the first one under Kenny Daglish. Yeah, I mean, obviously with, with coming second in the league the previous season, when we obviously should have won it, you know, we didn't have that opportunity to, to get into the Champions League. But, you know, the rules changed. We're second place give us a chance. You know, there was obviously a lot of players come in, the likes of Ketspaya, John Dal John Dal Thomason, I think maybe Pistoni came in then as well. You know, there was quite a few uh, few signings made. But, you know, the the, the 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 big goal for us was to actually get through that um playoff game uh, against uh Zagreb, Dinamo Zagreb, I think it was. You know, that was the most important thing. And you know, once we got through that then we just had the excitement of of being in that uh, draw for the for the Champions League uh, proper, where 
you know, we go into the groups. Um, and obviously to, to draw the, the the sides that we did, you know, huge names, not just Barcelona, but, you know, the likes of Dynamo Kiev, PSV Eindhoven, they're huge names in, in European football. And, you know, we were in amongst it. And, uh, yeah, it was f- fantastic for, um, you know, for the Newcastle fans to actually see Champions League football and then to realise that our first ever Champions League game is going to be against the mighty Barcelona. Yeah, and we're going to get to that in in a little bit. Paul, just before we do, can you remind us of the transfer activity in this summer of 97? There was a real change in the guard, really, wasn't there? There was indeed, yeah. The close season saw Kenny Daglish start to change uh, the playing squad. Uh, in came veterans from Liverpool, John Barnes and Ian Rush, as well as Stuart Pearce. Uh, Shea Given arrived too, uh, as did the likes of Pistoni, Andres Anderson, uh, Ketsbaya and uh, Thomason, as, as Keith mentioned. Uh, Gary Speed and Nikas Dabazas joined uh, later in the season. There was a, certainly a high turnover of players as the manager started really to dismantle Kevin Keegan's highly successful group. You know, some players like Speed and Given came, became worthy replacements, uh, but others weren't. And supporters eventually you know, soon became rather frustrated as a result, uh, as, as was Newcastle's hierarchy. Uh, but that was later in the season. Uh, Newcastle also had problems right at the start of the season when uh, Alan Shearer was badly injured in a, in a pre-season match. Just as the club sold Les Ferdinand to Tottenham, um, United were now without their twin strike force who had been so successful in the previous campaign. Yeah, Keith, were you involved in that faithful pre-season game at Goodison Park? In the, in the space of a few days, Newcastle lost Les Ferdinand to Spurs and then Shearer to injury. Were you as concerned as the fans were? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, obviously with with Alan being the striker that he is, and, and the partnership that he struck up with Les the previous season, you know, they were they were an absolute handful. You know, playing against one of them would have been a handful, but them together, you know, was was difficult for defenders and and, and great for the likes of myself and the likes of you know Janola who had target men who who just you know thrived on crosses. Uh, but yeah, I remember I remember it happening, uh, Alan and. and you know the scream he let out as 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 it did happen. Um, you know, and it was uh, it was it was incredible sort of timing. Then that you know Les, they were um, selling Les to Tottenham, and then all of a sudden they get the injury, and we, I think they're frantically trying to stop the transfer going through of Les to Spurs, but it was it was too late. Um, and you know it was it was very disappointing. You know because you sort of think that we come second the previous season, and you know we're sort of thinking right. You know, now we've got a uh, Champions League campaign. You know, let's go and see if we can challenge for for the Premier League again. And unfortunately, when you lose players like Les Ferdinand and, and Alan Shearer, you know, it's it's, it's going to be very a very difficult last to actually, you know, compete. You know, as we did the previous couple of seasons. Yeah, going into that first Champions League campaign without Alan and Les, uh, Paul, as Keith mentioned, there was an, a tricky qualifying tie to negotiate before they got into that group stage, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. It was it was certainly a, a, a hugely important qualifying game um, against Dinamo Zagreb or Croatia Zagreb, as they the were later called. And it was over two legs. It was a thrilling tie. Uh, and in the deciding match in Zagreb, uh, it was all decided in a dramatic way. A very late winner in extra time from Timuri Kitzbaya. Uh, and that took Newcastle into the competition proper, and that's what everybody wanted. Yeah, and they were rewarded with a really tasty group featuring some proper European giants. Yeah, the glamorous world of the Champions League uh, 
So Newcastle, you have the opening game against Barcelona. I couldn't get any bigger than that, really. And that was a, a terrific night under the lights for players and supporters. And of course, we went into a 3-0 lead with Tino Espria having one of those nights, scoring a marvellous hat-trick as Keith Gillespie roasted the Barcelona defence. The visitors did pull two goals back near the end, but the 3-2 victory was a very special one and, and thoroughly deserved for the first hours play that Newcastle uh, put on that evening. Yeah, Keith, Tino grabbed the headlines, but you were many fans man of the match that night. Is, is that the best game of football you've ever played? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I wish I could have played like that every week, uh, believe you me. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those nights where, you know, everything just went right for me. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like a winger, excuse me, who had any tricks really. My my big ass, biggest asset was my pace and it was more of a drop the shoulder, you know, and, and, and just, you know, if I was quicker than the fullback, you know, if there was grass to run into and I'd hit it maybe 10 yards in front, I knew I would get there and... You know, I was able just to get, you know, the couple of crosses in that night for Tino. You know, just an incredible sort of night to, to, to look back on. Um, you know, first ever Champions League game for Newcastle. You know, and after 60 minutes, you know, we're 3-0 up and, and, and everything's going great. But we, we, we did know that they would come back into it. Um, I think, you know, the two goals that they got at the end, you know, probably flattered them a little bit that they got as close as they did this because for the first hour, we were just uh, unplayable. Uh, Tino was unplayable. You know, playing up front on his own there, um, and you know, give the the defence an absolute torrid time. But yeah, but certainly a game that I'll never ever forget. Yeah, do you, do you have any theories on why you, it came together so well for you and Tino that that evening? Did you feel good going into the game, or did you do anything different? No, no, not at all. Um, you know, we, obviously the the excitement <clears throat> of 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 playing Champions League football was was there, and you know, just that just coming out for that first time, and and you know, hearing that Champions League music was special in itself and you know you're standing in the tunnel and you're looking at the Barcelona players and you're looking at Figo and you're looking at Rivaldo and you know Luis Enrique you know some some fantastic players you know so we knew we were going to be in for a, a, a tough night and I think probably before the game we, we, we'd have probably taken a draw hmm. you know a draw against a club like Barcelona but you know it was just uh, as I say just one of those nights where you know the the, the, the fullback you know, he probably gave me a little bit too much space at times because, you know, I, as I say, I wanted to to sort of, you know, drop the shot and kick the ball. You know, if you if you look at the actual um, third goal, you know, I, I picked it up inside my own half, but by the time I crossed it, I probably ran, you know, 50, 60 yards. I think I probably only touched the ball about three or four times, you know, mm-hmm. because I've been able to knock it into the space. And, and as I say, I knew I was quicker than him, and you know, then to put the cross in, and you know, great movement by Tino for the third goal. You know, the, he was only one in. He was the only one in the box, I think, and and I think there was three, three defenders. But just his movement, just you know, they didn't know where he was going to go, and you know, thankfully he got on the end of it, and you know, it, it'll it'll go down as, as as one of the great hat tricks, um, you know, for Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky enough to be there uh, in the second row of the Gallagher end. I've no doubt Paul was there as well. It's the loudest I've ever heard St James's Park when I when I've been inside. Can you remember a better atmosphere, home or away? Well, you've got to, first of all, you've got to remember there was only thirty five thousand there. It was the mm-hmm. smaller St James's Park, and the, your my view, the ground before enlargement in two thousand was was far superior in terms in terms of atmosphere. And that night was without doubt um, something special. You know, the 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 whole crowd 
all round the ground were just ecstatic all night. So it was uh, it was very very special. Did that come across on the pitch as well, Keith? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know the 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 crowd there make make incredible noise. You know throughout my whole time there, but just on that sort of night, you know that was just a, a sort of special atmosphere. You know you just get nights with that where. You know, the anticipation of Barcelona coming to town, you know, and we knew that the fans would be up for it as much as we were. Uh, we knew they would be right behind us. Um, and I think, you know, when, when we went 3-0 up, I think the fans were as shocked as probably we were that we're, you know, all of, us, all of a sudden 3-0 up. But a few twitchy moments towards the end. But, you know, thankfully we did go over the line because, you know, being 3-0 up and playing the way that we did, you know, if... if you know, looking back, if we'd have been talking about this game as in a, they come back and got a three-three draw, it just wouldn't have had that same feeling. Um, mm. You know, just because they, they they didn't deserve anything out of the game. We 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 played some great football. You know, they're they're a fantastic side. You know, and they're always very good technically in terms of the way they keep the ball and they have a lot of possession. And we had to sort of just you know make sure that for that last sort of half an hour, I don't know we can see the two, but we just had to make sure we'd done the right things and got over the line. And, and as I say, thankfully we were able to do that. And Paul, unfortunately, you know, the team couldn't really replicate that level of performance against the other clubs in the group, could they? No, it was a bit of a disappointing next three games uh, after that spectacular opening. However, United had hit more injury problems. I think Tino was uh, was injured and without Shearer at centre-forward, they really lacked a cutting edge. The struggle against PSV and Dynamo Kiev in the other group matches and failed to progress to the next stage. But it was a huge experience for both players and and supporters. Just loved it, you know. Back in Europe at the top table, it was something that uh, we're long to get back to. Definitely, definitely. And, and Paul, staying with you, things they domestically dropped off quite dramatically compared to the previous two campaigns when Newcastle were genuinely in the title race. It wasn't the case this season, was it? No, it was a big disappointment. Uh, as was much of the football displayed from title challenges. Daglish's remodelled Newcastle United slid down the table. Yet the boss did lead the Magpies to Wembley in the FA Cup final. And no one moaned about that, really. Uh, it was the first final since 1974, and it was uh, an exhilarating run there. Alan Shearer returned uh, for the Cup run, and he was a driving force and scored five goals on the way to Wembley, including the winner in the semi-final at Old Trafford against Sheffield United as the black and whites won uh, by a single goal. Yeah, fantastic afternoon that was down in Manchester. Keith, you played looking at the record in every game of the FA Cup run, except the quarterfinal against Barnsley and the final itself. It must have been a big disappointment. Can you remind us uh, the circumstances of your absence for the 98 final? Yeah, unfortunately, um, a couple of weeks, maybe two, three weeks before uh, the final, I got injured at, um, at White Hart Lane. You know, where, where the running track round the side, they had a bit of a drop off the, you know, the grass onto the running track, and I just landed on it, twisted, twisted my ankle, and unfortunately, I had a, I had a X-ray at White Hart Lane. They had an X-ray machine, but it never showed up that, I, that there was a broken bone. It was only later on, maybe after I came back the following season, that I realised that I had a, a broken bone in my foot, uh, but. I had a fitness test uh, the day before the uh, the final. I knew that if I passed the test, I would I would have been playing because uh, I think Warren then had to play on the right side. 
you know, so I knew that I would be playing and I had the fitness test. And basically the fitness test lasted about three seconds because I just tried to block tackle with the uh, physio and I just was writhing in absolute pain. And I knew, you know, that was uh, that was not the pace. So it was, uh, it was very, you know, disappointing. <laughs> so difficult to watch the game as well, you know, wanting to be out there. You know, and that was probably one of the biggest disappointments I've I've ever had in my career. You don't get many opportunities to play in FA Cup finals, and unfortunately, you know it was taken away from me. You know by injury. Devastating to hear that. And, and Paul, remind us as if we need it how, how the FA Cup final went. <laughs> yeah, well, we faced the best side in the country that season, Arsenal, um, on their way to the double, um, and unfortunately they outplayed and outclassed uh, what was a very poor. Magpie showing and the one two nil. Your fans were not happy. Directors weren't happy either, uh, as the Daglish style uh, even uh, you know, prompted the fans to even start you know, chanting attack, attack, attack uh, mm-hmm. through the second half. You know, Newcastle just didn't have the intent to go forward and and they paid for it at Wembley. Never really in the game. Shearer did hit the post, but you know, Arsenal always felt a bit too strong for them, I think. Uh, and Keith, did you, I assume you travelled with the team, wore the suits and, and did all that. And Can you remember, you know, the atmosphere afterwards? Yeah, um, you know, we, we travelled down a few days before the final. So, yeah, obviously, you know, with the team on the coach going to, to Wembley. And even, even that was very difficult, you know, that you're on the coach going to Wembley, knowing that, you should be playing, and unfortunately, due to the to the injury, you know the the circumstances weren't weren't good for me because of that. But yeah, it was uh, it was tough. Um, even after the game in the dressing room, everyone was low. Um, you know, we 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 didn't play well in the day, but I, I I do think that was an exceptionally good Arsenal side. You know, and 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 they they done the double that year. I think you know they'd won yeah. the league as well. So. You know, it was uh, it was a very very good Arsenal side, um, and we we, we lost two 0 It was you know a convincing two 0 but it was um, it was a great cup run. You know, and the, one of the one of the games I'll never forget is is the atmosphere at Old Trafford for the semi final. Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, you know it was a fantastic atmosphere that day, um, and you know Alan come up trumps again, um, and I remember just as the goal went in, the the, the noise, you know that 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 day was 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 incredible and you know we probably didn't play that well in the semi-final Champions United gave us a few scares but in a semi-final you just want to win the game and 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 then look forward to Wembley and you know it was uh, it was just unfortunate that we we came up against such a good Arsenal side can I ask you one other question why, why do you think Kenny Daglish's your remodeling of Newcastle United never actually worked because he did dismantle the Keegan side and he tried a new your squad totally, but it just didn't work, and it wasn't very good, to be frank. Yeah, um, you know, aside from you know when when he did come in, um, you know the, those sort of January to the end of that season when when we you know got second place, you know we we came with a very very good run, uh, but you know the following season, you know we've qualified for the Champions League. League form was 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 just awful, and you know I I think. When when Kevin Keegan leaves, you know it, it's such a difficult uh, person to replace, you know, because of Kevin's legacy within Newcastle and 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 the way that he was loved and adored by the fans. It was always going to be hard. And when you heard sort of Kenny Daglish was coming in, you thought, "Wow, another massive name." He had he had success at um, at Liverpool as as a player manager, and he had success at Blackburn. So we were excited by that and. 
you know, just sometimes things don't work. He probably just wanted to change things a bit. I think people people always tend to think that with, with Kevin as manager, we were very gung-ho at times, you know, and but just because we, we sort of became known as the entertainers, people sort of thought, well, we leaked too many goals. I think that season where we came so close to winning the league, I think we had the third or fourth best defence in the league. You know, I think we only conceded three or four goals than what Man United did. You know, so people sort of tend to think that we we, um, we were a little bit, you know, too gung-ho, as I say. But, you know, Kenny obviously wanted to come in with his own ideas. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's the same when you, when, when you look, when Kenny goes and you think, wow, we've got another big name, Brood Hullet. The same happens again. Just things don't work for him and... That's just the way uh, the way it is at times with 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 managers, and you know you can look at players as well going into a new club where you know it doesn't work for them. All of a sudden they go somewhere else and it works for them there, and I think that's just the nature of football where sometimes it works for you and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, Paul, walk us through the summer of '98 then, and Newcastle again try to recapture some of the sparkle that had been lost uh, since Keegan's departure. Well, the summer saw the World Cup in France and. Uh... Newcastle brought to Tyneside one of uh, uh, the World Cup winners in, in France's centre-forward, Stefan Grivache, and he was you know, a top scorer in French football for a couple of years. But unfortunately, he was something of a misfit, along with several others of the manager's uh, choices. Another from the World Cup stage arrived too, Germany's Didi Hamann. Um, so did Stephen Glass, George to George Yardis and Peru international Nobby Solano arrived on Tyneside. And later in the season, so too did Duncan Ferguson uh, at £8 million. Now, Solano became a big favourite, of course, uh, while both Haman and Ferguson had excellent uh, short periods on Tyneside. But everything still didn't fit together for, for the manager, Kenny Daglish. Yeah. Keith, what did you make of the, the new boys, particularly Givosh, who... Like Paul said, won the World Cup. Yeah, he lasted just four games and scored one goal despite being quite a high-profile arrival. Yeah, you know, I'd watched him in the World Cup and I was impressed. And then, you know, he arrives and you'd probably say he was probably one of the biggest flops that the club has, has ever had in terms of, you know, he's he's a World Cup winner. You know, he's coming to Tyneside and you're thinking, wow, we've got a, a, a player here who'll score a lot of goals and, you know, it just just never happened for him. Uh, you know, but he he, d- he did make other good signings. In that, Didi Haman was 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 a fantastic player. No, he was only there a year. I think Stephen Glass was it was an important signing too, and done done you know very well. And obviously Nobby, Nobby, mm. fantastic player who who played for Newcastle for many many seasons. Um, and for for me on a personal level, I was in the sort of last year of my contract, and and the club had offered me a new four year contract and. I was sort of just looking for better terms, and then all of a sudden, behind Kenny's back, they tried to sell me to to Middlesbrough. Mm. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the the broken bone in my foot, I only realised that when I went to have an MRI scan, and and it it showed up that the I broke my talus bone, which is is quite a you know quite a bad bone to break in in your foot. So that was the the transfer off, and I came back to to Newcastle, and I spoke to Kenny. He was fantastic. I said bad news, I failed the medical. And he says, that's not bad bad news for you. You're still in my plans. But the club then started to mess me about a little bit because that four-year contract that they had offered me, they took that off the table and offered me a one-year contract, you know, and tried to sort of say that my career was in doubt and that I might never play again, you know. So 
I became a little bit disillusioned with with the club in terms of what they were doing. I think it was Freddie Fletcher at the time had put it out to the to the newspapers that my career wasn't out, which is was was complete nonsense, you know. And he was pretty much playing with my livelihood, which I obviously wasn't happy about. So, as I say, I was in the last year of my contract, and you know I couldn't really see myself staying, you know, beyond that year. Um, and you know, obviously after two games, Kenny can gets sacked, and and then Rude Hillock comes in. Yeah, Paul, bizarrely, the board gave Daglish decent money to spend in the summer, yet he was gone within like days of the season starting. Yeah, there was quite a few strange decisions at this time and afterwards, and uh, that was one of them, um, giving Kenny all that money to spend and then getting rid of him uh, at the very start of the season. And as uh, Keith says, uh, another big name came in, uh, Dutch international you know, megastar Rude Hullet. And he, of course, brought in more new faces uh, as the 1998-99 season progressed, including the likes of uh, Silvio Maric, Didier Domi, Laurent Chauvet. Local lad Steve Harper entered the scene as well. He claimed a place between the posts for that campaign. Keith, how did you find Rude? Yeah, um, you know, I, I probably didn't have that much of a relationship with him. It, to be fair, I found it quite arrogant. You know, you sort of walk into training in the morning and normally people sort of say good morning or whatever. You know, there was just none of that from him at times. You know, he just sort of walked past you, blank you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was in a difficult position because when he did come in, I was injured. And then um, all of a sudden I did get into the team and I think I played maybe four games in a row. And then the last of those games was actually at uh, the Riverside against Middlesbrough on the on a Sunday around Christmas time and three days later I was gone to Blackburn and the mm. club the club realised that you know they had to cash in because I could have gone for free at the end of the season so they they wanted to cash in and, and I obviously ended up going to Blackburn then Yeah 2.2 million pound move to Blackburn I think a lot of Newcastle fans are still a bit confused as to why you left having been quite a key player for the majority of your time and, a, and quite a Newcastle fans type of player you know, direct, exciting, positive, and is that is that as simple as it was that you think the club couldn't agree contract with you and were panicking because you were going to be up in the summer with your deal? Yeah, well, exactly, and uh, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, when there, there's a four-year contract on the table, and then because I feel the medical, you know, I come back and they then, you know, want to just offer me a one-year contract, you know, and hmm. at that time, one-year contracts weren't signed, you know, they were trying to sort of say, well, that gives you a little bit of security for a year. You know, because because they were trying to say that, as, as as I said before, that my career was in doubt. I might never play again. So you know, I'm I'm getting reassurances from physios, you know, specialists, everything that yes, you know, of of a broken bone, but it will heal. Um, and there's 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 no question you'll be back playing. So I just knew then that you know my time was up with the club uh, mm -hmm. because you know it's a it's a tough one to come back from when when you feel you know betrayed. That the, the, the club went out and done that. Um, you know, so, you know, Kevin Keegan, when he was my, I'd have played under Kevin Keegan, you know, my whole career. I would have just loved to have done that. Um, unfortunately, I I really only got two years with Kevin, you know, and it, it wasn't long enough. You know, he was just fantastic to work under. Uh, but, you know, sometimes your, your, your time's up at a club and you need to move on. And, you know, I had four amazing years there. Uh, mm. 
you know the best career, the best years of, of, of my career were, were at Newcastle. Um, I just you know loved everything about the place, the city, the fans, everything. And you know it was disappointing. You know that I was still only twenty three when I left when I left Newcastle. You know, so I was still very very young. Wow, yeah, I didn't realise you were that young, but yeah, that that is early in your career. Yeah, it was. You were very much a Newcastle United fans type of player, and it was around about this time that you know the wheels did start to fall off, and and Paul things didn't improve under the under Ruth Hullet as much as I think the board hoped, did they? Uh, no, it was uh, the season started under Rude very much in a similar way to to Kenny Daglish's last season. They struggled in the league and were quickly knocked out of uh, what was then the European Cup Winners' Cup. But like in the previous season, Newcastle went all the way to Wembley in the FA Cup again. Uh, and it was another rousing run. And Shearer once more was the main reason uh, why Newcastle got there, hitting another five goals. And in the semi-final, it all traffed once more against Tottenham, uh, who included a certain David Ginola and Les Ferdinand in the side. Shearer hit uh, two goals, one a penalty and the other just a stunning drive into the top corner. And, and Old Trafford was rocking again. It was Arsenal in 1998, uh, and this time it was an even better side. Manchester United at Wembley, and, and they went on to win the treble that year. Newcastle were largely once more outplayed and lost 2-0 once again, uh, although they did play a bit better than against Arsenal. Uh, but you know, without doubt, Manchester United were the better side. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And uh, rather than dwell on that, I think we'll keep it positive. And we've got an image here, actually, Keith, from from the 1997 uh, Champions League home game v Barcelona, which uh, has been acting as our backdrop for as we record this. I'm going to reveal it for the viewers watching on Chronicle Live. Uh, or YouTube or Facebook where we, we post these videos. So there's an image here, Keith. There's not a massive amount of pictures of you from that night against Barcelona, but I did find this one. Um, I'll describe it for listeners. Tino's second goal at the Gallagher end. The, the first header after his penalty, um, you've just forced Barcelona's left back into early retirement, and uh, <laughs> their keeper is Rude Hesp is on a heap on the floor. Tino's wheeling away to celebrate with you, and, and uh, thank you for an amazing cross. And it looks like you're just checking with the linesman that he's allowed that one. You're looking over your shoulder there, you see. Yeah, I, I think I'm actually, you know, if, if if you're able to sort of see a further sort of picture of that, I think I'm actually clenching, start clenching the fists to, towards right. the fans because right. I. I I, I knew there was I knew there was no way that uh, there could be any sort of offside or anything because yeah. you know Steve Watson had I played the ball out to me with a sort of quick free kick which Barcelona probably weren't expecting and you know as I say managed just to drop the shoulder and I think it's a fantastic you know when you actually see that goal time and time again you know Tino's leap is just absolutely incredible the height mm. that he actually gets to it was a dream start for us in terms of you know we're two 0 up after maybe thirty minutes so mm-hmm. yeah it was. Uh, it was incredible, as as I say, incredible night. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And and Paul, um, the start of the 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 last season of uh, the millennium, ninety nine two thousand. It's uh, it's so significant. I think we'll have to save it for the next episode. But can you just round off the ninety eight ninety nine season for us? The Keith Gillespie uh, era had ended, but how did that season finish for Newcastle? Well, by the end of the season. Newcastle had obviously lost the cup final. They'd lost their Kevin Keegan sparkle by then. Uh, Yes, they'd entered the Champions League and reached two FA Cup finals. But something was definitely missing from from the side. For season 99-2000, another change was to be made in the hot seat, which would see a toiling Newcastle United revitalised once more. 
and and that's the, the a very special another very special era that we'll cover in the next episode can i ask keith one question you had a, a sort of colorful career keith and of course against when you were playing for sheffield united you've probably created one of the most unique records in football being <laughs> sent off after zero seconds <laughs> you, uh, you came on a substitute and the game never got restarted and then you were sent off <laughs> so could yeah. you just explain what happened then yeah well um it was obviously um at the majeski against uh reading and you know because we had a throw-in where i'd come on was was, was where the throw-in w- actually was so i didn't have far to go to to get into my position so i'm down the line and just felt a little bit of a pinch in in, in my midriff and i've sort of just reacted and sort of swung swung my arm and and you know caught stephen hunt and and to be fair i don't think he did mean you know many favors because he sort of went down installments but yep that the right in front of the linesman <laughs> so i knew that the the red card was coming out but you know i seen a little bit of red mist then walking off because they attacked them again um and, and had to go at stephen hunt as he was walking off so i did get a a six game ban uh and i appealed it uh through the pfm they got it down to four which was which was quite good but the the, the only good thing for 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 me that day was that what i did was that's that's an automatic two-week fine but um as soon as i went down and got into the into the dressing room i jumped in the shower why i needed a shower after 12 seconds i don't know like but um when i come out of the shower and uh, neil warnock was standing there he just got sent off after me so the good thing was then if he was going to find me two weeks wages he would have had to find himself two weeks wages so i got away i got away with uh, got away with that one scot free <laughs> yeah, if any manager's going to let you off the hook, it's going to be Neil Warnock for, yeah. <laughs> for that one. For, forever immortalised in pub quizzes. Brilliant. <laughs> Keith, thanks again for joining us for this one. It's, uh, and thanks for your contribution to the club as a player. You, you softened the blow, I think, when Andy Cole went. Uh, you were a very you know, perfect Newcastle player and, and we all enjoyed watching you. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. So that's the 90s nearly concluded. As I mentioned, the final six months of the decade are, are so eventful, we're going to save them for next week. But uh, Newcastle have played in two major... Uh, cup finals at least and had a lot of players in and out the door and the club is uh, unrecognisable I think it's safe to say from the club we discussed at the start of the decade and next week we'll be discussing the end of Hullet the start of Sir Bobby and some more glorious Champions League nights so uh, in the meantime please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on you can press the notification bell as well so you get all our podcasts as soon as they land and follow Chronicle Lives Newcastle United channels on social media we're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter Facebook and Instagram video versions of the episodes are available on our YouTube channel just search for the EIBW podcast on there and stay up to date with everything black and white by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletters these are free I'll put a link to sign up with them in the show notes if you tap that and select Sport Newcastle United Updates. You can enter your email and you'll be signed up to receive all the best Newcastle United content from Chronicle Live every day for free. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us and listening to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United with me, Matt Ketchell, Paul Joannou and our very special guest, Keith Gillespie.